Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Um, As always, I love diving into people's minds, hearts, and uh, getting a sense of uh, the journey of amazing souls from around the world and really seeing what has enabled them to succeed Uh, find fulfillment, live their purpose, and ultimately live an authentic life. I'm very excited about my guest today. My guest today is someone who's been on Soul Talk a few times. Uh, We also had him uh, on as a part of the Surrender Summit, and he really broke things down in a a profound and deep way. He's a world-renowned human behavior expert. And um, all I'm going to say is this man is a non-stop fount of knowledge. He has a new book, The Seven Secret Treasures. Uh, Before we began the interview, he started telling me about the other two or three books he has coming along. And so he's uh, a fountain of creativity and inspiration. Welcome, Dr. John Demartini. Thanks for coming back to Soul Talk. Yes, thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. It's great to be here. Um, I loved our last time together, and I'm very excited to, to, to learn from you again, and I think everyone is. I want to dive into exploring your new book, obviously, but I would love to start off with just, look, the world is going through some very interesting times. We're going through some interesting things. I think a lot of people too right now are feeling a sense of anxiety when it comes to the world. A lot of talk about recession, economic um, instability, folks dealing with, with anxiety. I would love to just kind of kick things off with your thoughts on wealth and abundance and prosperity and money, which I think is a, is a topic that's on people's mind these days. Um, how does someone, let's, let's start here. How does someone who is looking at the world and they feel anxious about what is going on and they're concerned about the future and wondering what the hell is going to happen and financially how they're going to make it through these economic times as you know, media and uh, so many folks are calling a recession. Um, how do we navigate the seemingly challenging time that we're in and how does someone who wants to build wealth start building wealth during these times. Can I develop that? <laughs> yes, let's go. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a, I'm going to start with the idea of a magnet. Okay. So I want us to imagine that we have a magnet. I'm going to use a, a, an iPad pen. We'll call this positive and this is negative. And um, if you try to cut that in half and try to get a positive pull of the magnet, the moment you cut in half, you'll get a positive and negative and a positive and negative because of the magnetization of the materials in the pen. Mm. Now, this positive pull doesn't come without the negative pull. This negative pull doesn't come out without, without the positive pull. So no matter how many times you cut that and keep cutting that in half at infinitum, you're still going to have a positive negative as long as you have any material there that's left. Mm. Now, the positive pole, we could also put a term, call it fantasy, and the negative pole, nightmare, or pleasure and pain. Yes. Or philia and phobia. Philia, phobia. Mm. Now, the moment you make this part positive and you seek it, you're going to fear its loss. Mm. And the moment you make this negative, 
and avoid it, you're going to fear its gain. So the second you polarize any perception and create a dipole, you're going to have the fear of loss of that which you seek and a fear of gain of that which you're trying to avoid. There is no event in life that's one-sided. But people live in the fantasy or the nightmare that there is such a thing. We've all had events that we thought were terrible. Mm -hmm. And then a day, a week, a month, a year, five years later, we found out the other side. We've also went out and bought that new house. And a day, a week, a month, a year, five years ago, oh, the friggin' house, it's killing me. Mm. All the cost. So anything that we assumed it was going to be a positive without a negative, we were conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides, and we were blind. And we activated our amygdala and had an impulse to seek it, only to discover the other side once we get there. Mm. Just like a new relationship, we get, oh, my God, I'm infatuated with this person, and then I find out that they're not who I thought. Fatal attraction. Mm. Or this terrible person, this terrible event we thought was terrible, it's got the upsides. So... As John Milton said, we can make a hell out of a heaven or a heaven out of a hell. And our thinking makes it so. Mm. So if we have a very narrow mind, we're going to think we're going to get a positive without a negative. If we have a very broad mind, we're going to know that there's always both sides. Mm-hmm. And we're going to transcend the label, good or bad, positive or negative, nice or mean, these polarities of opposites. Now, Anytime you set a goal that is a fantasy that has only positive outcomes, your brain is designed intuitively to have anxiety. Mm, Can you say that again? Anytime you set a goal that is actually a fantasy and Mm. not a true objective, which is neutral, but is a fantasy, which is polarized, trying to get a one-sided pole. Happy without sad, positive without negative, kind without cruel, nice without mean, peace without war. Anytime you try to get a one-sided world, the more you seek that as an impulse from the amygdala, the more we have a phobia and anxiety surfacing intuitively to try to point out the other side that we're overlooking. Mm -hmm. Our intuition is always revealing the side we're ignoring. Mm. So if we're seeing a negative, our intuition is trying to point out the upsides. If we're seeing a positive, our intuition is trying to point out the downsides. The intuition is trying to get us to set a real objective where we are prepared with foresight and strategic planning to handle the positives and the negatives in the pursuit of a real objective. Mm. So a goal can be on a spectrum from fantasy of one-sidedness, which creates anxieties and uncertainties and doubts, to a true objective, which allows you to anticipate all the potential drawbacks, risks, downsides, and mitigate them with strategic planning, which calms down the fantasy and calms down the nightmare Mm. and allows you to embrace both sides. Now, when you have a true objective, which is what the forebrain and executive functioning areas of the brain, the medial prefrontal cortex are involved in, you set true objectives, you have true strategies, They're not fantasies that are delusional. They're grounded. Mm -hmm. Now, if if you're manic and you set a goal, you'll set too big a goal in too short a time frame to calm down the pride and the mania. If you're panicking and you're insecure, you'll set too small a goal in too long a time frame to lift yourself back to achieve. Mm -hmm. But if you're real and authentic, you'll set real goals in real time frames, anticipating with foresight all the things that could go off and prepare and mitigate, plan and prepare. Elon Musk does not go to Mars with a fantasy. Right, right. He goes there with hiring engineers to think of everything that could go wrong to make Mm -hmm. sure that the benefits of going there is balanced by all the risks that were there and anticipating what they are. And the greater the foresight, the less the hindsight needed. The hindsight is the lowest heuristic of decision-making and we learn from trial and error the highest mm. is foresight by experts and mentors and imagination and thinking of what could go wrong and how do we prepare for it. Mm. Now, when it comes to wealth building, many people have fantasies. They're in their amygdala. 
The amygdala is a subcortical area of the brain, and they want pleasure without pain. Mm-hmm. They want the lifestyle of the rich and famous. They want immediate gratification. They want to con- buy consumer items, uh, and they don't want to take the responsibility of being patient and mm-hmm. making sure that they're selective in their purchases and not impulse buying and make sure that they pre-plan their thinking according to priority of what they what really is going to help them accumulate wealth. If somebody doesn't have a very high value on wealth, they'll buy things. But if they have a high value on wealth, they'll buy assets. Yes. So every time you buy something, if it doesn't go up in value, you don't have a value on wealth building. You have a value on things. Mm. And you've confused wealth building with consumer items living vicariously through other people's brands. Mm -hmm. And the banking system uh, is a bit of a, a game. The banking system, what it does is it gives you a credit card, makes you think you're privileged so you can get in debt. Mm. And then you buy things on media gratification on a credit card and get the pleasure of purchase, retail therapy. And then 30 days later, you get the pain of the bill. And then they only make you pay a portion of it. So they maximize their return with interest and you maximize the in debt. Mm. So now what happens is the pain is separate from pleasure. And any time you separate pain from pleasure, the amygdala runs your life and a made gratification. And that's not how you're going to get wealthy because animals don't get wealthy. They're run by the amygdala. Mm. And anytime you put pleasure and pain together, you run your life. The executive center runs your life. That means if you pay and you have, if you pay cash for it, you have the pain and the pleasure simultaneously. So you're less impulsive and more thoughtful and more purchasing based on foresight than mm. on impulse and hindsight. So if you don't have a value on wealth building, you're not likely to get there. Mm. Mm. Now I had a, I had an opportunity to speak in South Africa in 2013 to about, I don't know, five or 6,000 people, 5,000 something. And, um, I was the main intro speaker. Richard Branson was the last speaker. So we had a few other people in between. They were the two speakers. I got up on the stage and I said, how many of you want to be wealthy? <laughs> Every hand went up. 5,000 people. Some hands, some two hands, some legs in the air. Mm-hmm. I said, how many of you are financially independent? And all the hands went down, except for seven <laughs> hands out of 5,000 hands. Wow. I said, would you like to know why? Mm. It got quiet. The room got quiet. I said, because the hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny. And if you don't have a hierarchy of values that are leading you to wealth, it's not going to happen. So let's just do a little experiment. Mm. And I had them, I said, I'm going to give you 10 million US dollars. I want you to imagine you have 10 million US dollars in your hands now. It's in your bank account. And you have 60 seconds to decide what 10 things you're going to do with that money. You have 60 seconds to decide what you're going to do with that money in 10 seconds and in 60 seconds. So I said, on your mark, get set, go right to 10 things you're going to do. Now that you have $10 million. Mm. Interesting. They quickly ran as fast as they could running and, and writing with those things. You only have 60 seconds to write down what they want. I said, stop 60 seconds. Turn to the guy on your left, gal on your left. And then whoever just received the the letter from them, the the, the page, I want you to calculate how much of those $10 million is left now as an asset. Mm. Now, out of the room of 5,000 people, the expenditures on consumables that depreciate in value range from 20 to 80%. Wow which means that most of those people eroded their potential earnings by 20% to 80%. They bought a car, they bought a house, they bought clothes, they bought a trip, they bought furniture, they bought a little yacht, they bought everything that went down in value. The majority of people, 99% of that room bought consumables that went down in value. When I, I shared it with them afterwards, I said, those of you that put it into assets, took that $10 million and bought high quality companies, bought high quality real estate, mm-hmm. bought things that went up in values, not gambling, but real investing, you are the ones that are going to be wealthy. 
and there's only a handful of people in there. The majority of people eroded 20%. Now, if you erode 20% in 60 seconds mm. and your interest rate's not earning 20%, you're going backwards. And that's why they live on credit cards and on debt many times. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a value on serving vast numbers of people, don't have a value on upgrading the standards of life in people's lives by pro- producing efficient product, service, or ideas, and have not transcended the idea that money is either positive or negative, and you can't see it as neutral, then money is going to run your life as a, and you're going to be its slave, not its master. But if you can have a commitment to making a difference in people's lives, where you're actually serving people with sustainable fair exchange, and you actually have a fair income, and then take a high portion of that and put it into savings and investments, mm-hmm. real investments, where the value of that goes up every year, more than the cost going down. You're not going to have money work for you. You'll be a slave to money and not its master. Mm. When I would turn 27 years old, up until 27, I really didn't have any understanding about wealth building. I had a good work ethic. I could make money, not huge money, but I could make money. And whenever I did, I'd buy things, books, school, car, stuff, trips, Close. It was 27 that I finally realized that as long as I buy things mm. and I give value to give money to other people for things that accumulate and fill up space in my place that I fill up a house with, then I'm not going to be wealthy. I'm just mm-hmm. going to have a bunch of things. Mm. They're going to sit there and go down in value, most of which are transient gratifiers. Yes. So I then decided I was going to change that that day, 27. Mm. And um, I started to buy real assets for the first time in my life. And then I got the hang of it. At first, it was a small percentage of what I earned. Wow. I started, what, what, what did you buy? Was it stocks or was it? Well, first, I, I, I made sure I was in savings. And then I started buying uh, stocks. I started mm. buying mutual funds. But I, then I found out that mutual funds were ripoffs by, by people from from. Hmm. Uh, Wall Street. So I went to the index fund and I kept my cost down, my turnover down, my lowest rate cost down. And I started buying index funds. For 40 years, I've been buying index funds. Mm. And um, I don't have to, I've never paid taxes on them. I never sell them. I, I let mm. them compound. I let them reinvest the, the dividends. And I, I allowed it to make me a fortune now, I'm 50 times financial independent now. Mm. So I basically kept buying assets and just buying assets. It started out monthly, it went every two weeks, it went every week, it started going every day. Money goes into mm. those accounts every day, buying companies, buying companies. Mm. So therefore, other people are working for me <laughs> instead of me working for them. I still work, I worked as yeah. hard as I've always done, but I didn't want to have financial independence for a debaucherous life. I wanted it for philanthropy and I want to do it because that way I can do what I love and not have to do it. <laughs> so I started to invest in quality companies. I also did other things. I bought art and I bought um, properties and, you know, real estate and stuff. Mm. But I basically kept buying companies mainly because I believe in investing in people that help the economy, give job opportunities and this kind of thing. So my wealth grew and mm. it started out at a very small percent, but it eventually got up to 53% of my gross income every month. So for every million I made, at least 530,000 was going wow. into investments. Wow. And I was living on a moderate amount. I didn't raise my lifestyle. I, 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 don't, I don't raise my lifestyle unless I raise my savings and taxes, saving dash investments and taxes equal amounts. Mm. I kept that in check because impulse mm. buying gets people in trouble. Can you speak to-, to the methodical? If I, if I invest and I just keep investing, my money's working. And now it makes me more than I do working. Mm. Can you speak to a couple of things? And and I'm so glad we started off with this question. Had no idea it was going to go in this direction, but you are like really breaking things down in a non-woo-woo way that is really grounded in in practical um, uh, value and wisdom. Could you just speak to two things and you can take it in whichever direction? Um, the emotionality that we often feel 
of, oh, I, I really need that, that thing. Or, you know, the, the, the mind just, just convinces you you've got to buy that. And, and so how does one develop the, yeah, let, let's start here. How does one develop, cultivate, how did you cultivate the discipline to not just indulge whatever uh, whim and wish and desire that arose in the moment? It's not discipline. Okay, great. Tell me. Discipline, um, unless you consider yourself a disciple of your own soul, mm. uh, a discipline, a willpower, it's not willpower. It's you have a value on wealth building. It only feels like discipline when you don't have a value on it. You're trying to do it and force yourself to do something that's not really, truly, intrinsically valuable to you. Mm, got it. So the, it's the value. So how does one develop a value? How does one? Okay, let's just, let's just say you you have to perceive. You have to perceive. You have to perceive that there's more advantage and disadvantage in, on asset accumulation than it is on buying immediate gratification. Got it. See, I I um I know a lot of people go buy a house. For some reason, they think if I don't have a house, I don't have something. I, I got to have yes. some house. Yes. And then they end up filling it up with furniture. <laughs> and then stuff. And you used to be able to park your garage in, a, in, a, in the garage, but after a while, it fills up with so much stuff, you can't even get your garage, your mm. car in there. Mm. You got to just, just everybody, just whoever's listening, just, just think about this. A quarter of your house is storage mm. of crap hmm. that you don't use. It goes down in value. Mm. A quarter. Mm. Think about that. All the closets, the garage, so true. the pantries, all have depreciables in it. Mm. So let's say you buy a million-dollar house. Well, I don't know what the average house is, 350, 400. Let's, let's make it a half a million. Okay? A half a million-dollar house just to round it up. A quarter of that would be 125,000. Mm. 125,000. Now you go and get a mortgage, and you're paying $125,000 to store crap. <laughs> it goes down in value and you wonder why you're having difficulty getting ahead. Yes. Now, on top of that, by the time you pay that off over 25, 30 years, you pay three times the amount. Yeah. So that's 375,000 storage. Wow. And then it sits there mm. thinking you're going to use it mm. off an impulse buy. Mm. I learned when I was 27 also, I went to a Ponte salon, a Robert Ponte salon when it came to clothes. And um, now I make my own clothes. I got the Martini brand. <laughs> but I, I um, that way I write off everything. Everything's a write-off. But, um, but I realized that it's better to have few things that are meaningful that make you feel like a million bucks than a bunch of crap. Mm. Mm. Impulse buy. So I, I buy on foresight, not hindsight. Mm. Impulse is by hindsight and outside circumstances are putting on sales. So you got to get it. Yes. Foresight is you're, you're living by design. You're choosing what's priority and you're living by priority. An individual that doesn't know how to live by priority is not going to probably have money working for them. They'll be working their life for money. If you, if you don't fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, your day fills up with low priority distractions that don't. If you don't fill your mind with high priority ideas that inspire you, it fills up with low priority ideas that distract you and weigh you down. If you don't fill your space with high priority mm. items that are very clean and very elegant, it fills up with junk. Mm. If you mm. don't put your money into high priority assets, it's going to get eroded by unexpected bills and depreciable consumable items. It's mm. a law and people don't mm. get that. So That's why the, wealthy always, the, way, the wealthy pay themselves first, the poor always pay themselves last. It's, an, it's, a, it's a proverb. So if you don't take the time and put your money into something that you value, when you value money, you put it into things that go up in value. When you don't value money, but you value things, you put it into things that go down in value. Common sense, but it's not commonly lived. So I decided that I'm not going to buy anything unless it helps me fulfill my mission. Mm. I say, don't say, say, say that again. Say that again. I don't buy things unless it helps me fulfill my mission. 
Mm. It's just like eating. Are you living to eat or are you eating to live? Are you eating to perform maximum performance or are you living to eat maximum mm. indulgence? Mm. Indulgence doesn't get you wealthy. Performance does. The same thing when it because one's an amygdala, that's indulgence, and one is the executive center, that's performance, maximum performance, most efficiency. So you ask, what is the highest priority thing I can be spending my money on? Mm. And I guarantee you, it's asset accumulation. That's key. That's the key question. What is the highest priority thing I could be spending my money on? It's beautiful. It's high, the highest priority thing is having money compound. Mm -hmm. Compound interest. If you look on a chart under compound interest under Wikipedia or Google, no, Google and look under images, you'll <laughs> see a, a purple compound interest chart. And at first, it's horizontal. It's a logarithm. So it's, it's a natural log, logarithm. It starts out like this, and it goes like that, and then it goes up, and it goes vertical. Mm -hmm. Within five decades, it's vertical. Four decades, it's like that. Three decades, it's like this. Two decades, like this. One decade, it's, it's, it's almost horizontal. Mm -hmm. Media gratification makes you go, ah, it's not worth it. But long-term vision sees what can happen. What yes. compound interest can do. It's the eighth wonder of the world, as Einstein said. Mm -hmm. So getting your money into assets, that's why I started buying companies that I've never sold. I just kept buying them, buying them, and buying them. Now they mm -hmm. make me more money without having to work because they right. just keep compounding, compounding, mm -hmm. compounding. Mm -hmm. So buying things that go up in value that compound, that serve ever greater numbers of people is going to bring reward. Because if you ask yourself, go to the moment when you've had the most fulfilling moment in your life. And I've done this to thousands of people, millions of people. They will say that when I did something that was a contribution and service to other people, and they said, thank you, that's what brings the most fulfillment. So go and put your money into something that contributes and serves and helps escalate, appreciate, and, uh, and go up in value. If you do, you're going to be wealthy. But buying mm -hmm. immediate gratification, see, most people buy stuff because yes. they compare themselves to other people. Mm. And they go, oh, they have something I don't. I need that too. And then they end up buying something that nobody gives a crap about that, right. that, that, that is transient high for a few hours. A few moments. And then, and then you've got a burden because now you got to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And most people on their credit card store one-tenth of their total income per year on their monthly credit card debt. One-tenth? So well, if you make $50,000 a year mm. – most people have $5,000 rotating on their credit card. Wow. So the, the wow. banks know that, and they know that the second they can see that you're paying that off and maximizing their returns, they'll send you a bigger upgrade in credit cards and get further in debt. Mm. And then mm. what they did is they supported this. This I, I remember reading about this many, many years ago, that, that they support you because they want you to live out in the suburbs, so you have to then get a car by a, car, by a, by a debt. And then you end up having to drive. Oh my and then God. You have to have a garage. Oh, here we you go. Have a car, the house. Then comes the landscape, and then comes the security, then comes all the things, and you're just constantly dealing mm. with debts. Mm. Mm. Then we get so distracted, you know, just on the. You spend your life on a wheel. the wheel. Right. And then you've got to protect that for your family. So you then got to buy insurance. So the insurance companies, mm -hmm. the banks have big buildings, the insurance companies have big buildings, you have small houses because you have it reversed. <laughs> it's deep deep john can you just speak to i, I want to keep going down this track could you just take, we're going to kind of take a side detour but still in the same direction you know in the spiritual field the metaphysical spiritual field the law of attraction I mean, you were in the secret you know just think it feel it feel abundant and there's so much talk about just feel well feel abundant feel the energy feel the money feel money around you money's going to flow to you money's going to just just appear it's just going to like how much of that plays in does any of that cuz what i'm hearing from what you're saying it's making me question how much of that plays into actual real life wealth building does does how you feel about yourself and how you feel the emotionality of things is, does that play into any aspect of wealth building? Can, can, it can, can you, but it's misleading. Could, yeah. Could, could you, could you, let me, let me clarify that. that. Uh, sitting there and fantasizing about you're wealthy and 
not getting off your butt and going and doing something that serves people in a sustainable, efficient way yes. and saving and investing the money and not doing the things that actually build wealth is going to be a waste of your time and it's just going to distract you. Yeah. But going out and putting the two together could be useful. Uh, I'm, I'm all for living an abundant life. I don't believe there's any lack of opportunities for you to serve people. That's abundant. Is there anybody out there, is there, is there anybody out there that if they got their heads together, could not go and find some service to provide some other human being? Mm. No. You'd have to be a really impoverished area uh, where nobody has any form of trade, hardly, that you might have some challenge there. But majority places, I learned that when I was a kid. I, I, I was nine years old and my dad said, you know, if you want to earn money, if you've done all this stuff around the house, you need to go to the neighbor's. So I went to the neighbors and I started doing jobs and I never found a lack of opportunity to go and do a job to serve people, whether a cleaning a garage or mowing a yard or hedge clipping or edging the sidewalk or sweeping or as long as I find a need in another human being that I can care enough about humanity to fulfill, there's never a lack of opportunity for finance because money is simply a means of fair exchange sustainable between two people. So if you care about doing that, you've got half the equation. The other half is taking a portion of it and investing it. Because if all you do is spend it, you'll be doing that all your life. And then by the time you're 70, you go, I can't work anymore. And then I got nothing. Yes. So you yes. want to make sure you start early with compound interest and save a portion. If you're mm -hmm. 20 years old, if you mm -hmm. were to save and invest 10%, you'd be financially independent by 60s. If you are 30 years old, 20%, 40 years old, 30%, 50 years old, 40%, 60 years old, 50%. The longer you wait, the more compounding you, you threw away, the more you have to invest to do it. That doesn't mean you can't create a company at any age. You know, Colonel Sanders is in his 60s. You can start a company in his 60s and build fortunes, but you still have to serve. The yes. reason why you know, people have fortunes is because they've served people. Majority. I mean, there's always a few people that gamble themselves into wealth, yeah. but that's not, those are not the people you want to mentor under. Mm -hmm. Those are gambles. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a firm believer in patient, methodical, consistent wealth building. That's methodical. Getting rich overnight is usually it works against you. Money, you know, money without meaning leads to debauchery. Money with meaning leads to philanthropy. Got it. When you look at the world now and you talked about assets um, that appreciate with so much changing, what advice could you give or what do you see as maybe some of the best opportunities, the assets that are the best opportunities that if someone's listening to this and they're, and they're thinking, what the hell do I invest in? What, what type of things do I invest in? Is it real estate? Is it stocks? Is it in the, is like, I'm not sure where to start and how to begin investing. Could you, Give some, based on your experience, of course, just, well, just give some guidance. People, people have a tendency to have a, a, a slant in what they love doing. Mm -hmm. Some people uh, love real estate. Yeah. They, they, they're just real estate people and they love it. Mm. Just like women know, like houses and many of them are real estate agents, right? Mm -hmm. they, know, they know houses. They know how to upgrade houses. And some people are companies, you know, I, I'm more of a company guy. I've had real estate. I, I, um, I bought a bunch of real estate over the years, but I've, I've found my returns on the real estate didn't do as well as buying companies for me. But that's, that's not, that's just being me. Doesn't mean everybody has to do that. But you have a proclivity for one or the other, probably, or both. I've done both. Mm -hmm. I, um, but I like companies because simplicity. Let's just put the two together. You buy a quality company, one company, you got a bit of a risk. You buy a whole index, you've diversified right. the risk. Mm -hmm. You're going to get only about a 9 to 10 to 12% return. And there's ways of making that even higher. But you don't have any, there's nothing to do. Mm. You buy it and hold it, leave it there. There's nothing mm. to do. Mm. It's completely simple. There's no turnover rates. There's no capital gains tax that's short term except maybe on the dividends. And if they're reinvested, that's not a cost. Mm -hmm. There's no management. There's no distraction. There's nobody calling you in the middle of the night to say, I got my plumbing fixed. There's All no right. distractions, none of that. It's just, you buy it, you hold it, you leave it there, it grows. Mm -hmm. And I can look at my 
my my holdings in that area, and I can see what it's done over the last forty years, and um, I'm in, I'm inspired by what it's done. Let's put it that way. Wow. So and you just keep growing. You you buy, you invest, you don't spend, and you just let it keep growing. Let it grow. Let it grow. Let it compound. Mm. Mm. If I wanted to live on the dividends, I still would have more dividends per year than I would spend. Mm. But I just buy. Now, some people say, well, what are you going to do with all that? You know, you. That's what I was going to ask. What? what? <laughs> I, you know, I live on a ship. I live on the best address on this planet. Wow. And I, and I, and I, I am, it's six star luxury. So I have no qualms about a nice life. But that's, I'm really quite simple. But I invested that. Most of it's going to philanthropy. Most of it's going mm. to my Demartini Prize and the Institute and many other things. So, I do it because I like the stability and I like the idea of having that, that wealth there. I like also being philanthropic when I see opportunities. Mm. I also like to not even think about it. I don't want to think about it all the time. I want to be able to just go and be my service, teach, research, write, and travel. Those are my four things that I do most. But some people also like the real estate. But with the real estate, you're tying up capital. It's a little different. You're also leveraging. You can run some risk to leverage. Yeah. You're also dealing with uh, rentals or property, or you have to develop it. You've got to have teams. Mm-hmm. You still also have cycles in the market, just like in the stock market. They all have cycles. You have to make sure you're not overly leveraged. You've got to make sure that you have uh, liabilities covering. Mm-hmm. You've got taxes and all kinds of costs there that erode the returns every, every year. You also mm-hmm. have write-offs and depreciations you have. There's advantages and disadvantages, but there's also more intensive accounting. There's more intensive managing. There's more, it's more active. Mm. I wanted to simplify it so I could teach, research, and write and not have to think about it, do nothing, and just buy indices. Oh, okay. I, I want my money working for me without even any action steps needed. Yes. Over here, I've got action. Now, I can delegate it. I can get enough portfolio where I've got people managing all that and just having mm-hmm. passive income from rentals and capital gains and growth. And, and, and that's a, that's a great way of doing it, but you still have it all actively managed. It's still a business. Yeah. You want over to here, I don't have anything to do. Mm. So that's why I prefer that I've mm. done both. I've looked at the returns. I like this myself better. Some people love real estate mm. and they love going in there and tinkering with it and adding to it and playing with it, upgrading it. If you're going to do real estate, it's wise to think long-term and possibly deal with real estate development. Don't just buy random pieces of property that just are rentals and stuff like that and scattered your approach. Mm. Think it through so you're eventually buying larger tracts of land in high quality areas that you can keep upgrading and upgrading over the decades mm. and eventually upgrade from a, a maybe a raw land to a little house to eventually a, mm-hmm. a quadruplex to a, a high rise to a commercial mm. and high rise. To, you just keep building it and just keep using the property wisely. Mm. Now you have a long-term vision. Some of the wealthiest people I know built cities. I'm, mm. uh, where I live is, there's, I, I know four city builders that live there, building cities, whole complex cities. Wow. And uh, on their long-term visions of a 50-year, 60-year plan, 100-year plan on what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. As a guy in uh, Sydney or in Brisbane, Australia, and in Springfield, Mahasinus Thanby, who built a city. It's got nearly 100,000 people now in it. He's gone from scratch from a raw piece of land into a massive city developing 100,000. He'll have probably mm-hmm. a half a million people in the next decade or something coming in there. Mm-hmm. So he's, he just keeps growing his city. Mm-hmm. So now that, that's where big money, because now you've got land development, you've now got appreciation on property, and then you've got building appreciation, you've got people coming in, you've got demands. That's where very, very strong wealth can be done, but you're going to have to pay, play a role in that. It's an act yes. of engagement. Yes. So it depends on what you love. But I want to teach and I love to travel the world and research and write. That's my love. I want to be financially independent doing what I love. I didn't want to get financially independent sacrificing what I love. I want to do what I love. Mm. And I didn't want to go make money doing something I didn't want to do so I could then go do what I love over here and split myself. I didn't yes. want a Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days. Thank God it's Friday's <laughs> week freaking in. I wanted to do what I love and get paid for it. Mm. So that's why I chose that route. That doesn't mean it's for everyone. But I just know that that route is a simple route that I can, I put thousands of people on a very simple structure yeah. that, and I got thousands of people on their way to being millionaires and multimillionaires just by following a simple structure. My mm. daughter's been doing that. She's on her way to do the same thing. Mm. I've watched it happen. So I try to simplify it so I can go and do what I love doing every day and have 
the proceeds building assets for me, working for me. Mm, love it. For someone who you, you talked about finding a way to be of service to people around you. For someone who's not sure, and they might say, well, John, I'm not sure how I can be, I'm not sure how I can be of service or I'm not sure which is the best direction, the best industry to, to, to put my energy into. The one where your heart is. Mm. Mine's teaching. So I ask, who is it that can benefit from my teaching? And I said, what, what if someone's like, but John, you know, where my heart is, there's no money there. I don't feel like I can build there's, there's wealth. No such, there is no such thing. I've, I've yet to find something that you're inspired by that can't turn into fortune. Love it. You just got to ask the right question. The quality of your life is basically quite the questions you ask. What is it I would absolutely love to do in life? And how do I get handsomely paid to do it? If you ask that question and don't stop and get mentorship if necessary to get the answer, you'll come up with an answer that'll make a fortune. Mm. I know a lady that made a hundred million playing with her dog. Wow. <laughs> she turned her dog into one of the most famous dogs in America. Wow. She came to my breakthrough experience program, which is my signature program. And I asked her, what is it you had absolutely love to do in life? She says, I love playing with my dog. And I said, how can you get handsomely paid to do it? She says, I have no idea. And we brainstormed and we came up with a way she could do it. And that turned mm -hmm. into a fortune. She turned him into a, a mascot for commercials and turned him into a, she became his agent as a model. We turned it, we just made some fun and had some fun turning a dog into a famous movie star. <laughs> That's great. So there's, there's, there's nothing that can't be turned. Now, there are th some things that people are more likely to get more income off of, mm. but there's more people also competing in that market. Mm. So if you're going after the market that just makes the income, but you're not doing something that's meaningful and inspiring to you, you're probably going to make income and then you're going to probably have a debaucherous life. Income mm. without meaning. I don't recommend it. Meaning without income or income without meaning doesn't work. Yes. It has to have a balance between self and other. See, if you're too narcissistic to care about humanity to meet their needs, no money. If you're too mm -hmm. altruistic to not care about yourself for the sake of others, no money. You'll sacrifice mm -hmm. your profits. But if you put those in balance and do something that's meaningful to you that you love doing and also that meets needs of other people, you've got your niche. So you're going to find out what it is. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a lady that, uh, I, had, I can tell you two stories. A lady that was in Quebec, in uh, Stoneham, Quebec, and her love was dancing. And so I said, she said, I said, so what is your love doing? She says, I love dancing. I said, Good, how, mm -hmm. how can you get handsomely beautifully paid to do that? She says, I have no idea. I have to pay to go to dance classes. How am I going to get paid to do that? I'm not a professional. And I said, are there a lot of people mm -hmm. who love dancing? Oh, yeah. There's dance studios all over the place, people dancing all different ages. I said, great. And would they like to go and meet some of the top dancers hmm. and top, uh, you know, type of dancing, French dancing, Spanish dancing? Oh, yeah, I'll probably would love them. So we put together a travel uh, adventure where she would take people to meet the leading musicians and the leading dancers from different countries and put together packages for one to two week adventures, touring the areas and meeting all these famous people and getting to actually have pictures with famous people, learn how to do dances, listen to the, the amazing music, flamenco guitars, and, and they put packages together. And then she sold packages and she averaged on top of all the cost, $2,000 per person. So the mm -hmm. very first time she did it, she only made $4,700. The second time she made 12000 after that, it went up to about $24,000 a gig. So she'd have 50, 60 people going and she made $2,000 on top of that for herself. Mm. She put the whole package together, got discounts on flights and discounts on hotels and packaged deals with people and paid for them to do it. Got them to sign, uh, you know, personalized signatures on the people's shirts that they made. I mean, mm. she got and developed a business around dancing and traveling the world and getting famous dancers and going and doing dancing with other people and cleaned up. 
Wow. I had another guy that loved reading. He, he said, what do you do every day that nobody ever has to tell you to do? He says, oh, I just read, man. I said, what do you read? He says, business books. I said, what do you do with them? He says, well, I take notes and I kind of summarize them and I use them for my, my business that I want to do. Have you actually started a business? No. I said, so do you have a value on learning or do you have a value on a business? He goes, that's a good question. I didn't make that distinction. I keep mm. thinking I'm going to do something with all this knowledge, but I don't seem to do it. I said, what if you made a business out of knowledge? He said, tell me you so. You love summarizing books. Why don't you make a business out of book summaries? There you go. There you go. So what he did, he started doing a book a week. He averaged six books a month, about a book a week, book, week, book and a half a week, summarizing them. And then he started to, I think the first year he got uh, 300 subscriptions for $100. Wow. Added up. Not bad. Then the second year, he got 1000 but not at $100. It was now 250 mm. Added up. Mm. The third year, it went even further up. So he got over $450,000 his third year in the business. Now, some of that goes to cost, but not a lot. But what he did is he started making friends with all the book authors, finding out when their itineraries were there. And then when they would come into town, he started interviewing them. He was one of the earliest podcast guys. Wow. Started interviewing them and then transcribing interviews and making that as a bonus system and get a membership system. And then he became friends with them and he got pictures with them doing the interviews live. I mean, he just turned it into a thing. And then he ended up on stage with some of these speakers when they were there, interviewing mm -hmm. them on stage. And he ended up creating books himself then with these transcriptions of these with their authorization and help them sell the books. He wow. made a fortune out of Australia doing that. So what is it you'd absolutely love to do in life? And then how do you get handsomely beautifully paid to do it? And what are the highest priority actions you can do today to make it happen? And what obstacles might you run into and how do you solve them in advance? And if you follow, there's seven or so eight questions there that if you follow those questions and keep going with it, don't, don't say, I don't know, because that's not true. You can make a fortune out of almost anything. Amazing. Amazing. Um, you've written quite a few books. Um, you have a new one coming out, if not out by the time people are listening to it's this. It's out. It's already out. Yeah. The, the Seven Secret Treasures, a transformational blueprint for a well-lived life. Um, and then you mentioned you, you, the process of writing and publishing another two, three books, probably by the time people listen to this. They're, they're, yeah, I've, got they're, a, I've got another book coming out here in, a, in just a little while, probably another month or so, that'll be called The Resilient Mind. Wow. And another one right now that I'm editing right now that's called The Productivity Factor. But there'll I be 10 of, them, 10 of them coming out in the next couple of years. I want to know about your writing process. How do you, I mean, obviously it's, it's quite prolific. To, I've written two books and I find it quite tough to write, John. And, you know, I love speaking, but writing just feels so, uh, at least for me, much, much more of a slow process. So I'm really curious about how you write. Is there a process you have? Is there, like, how do you, how do you activate your creative flow? Can you speak to that? Uh, I don't. <laughs> Tell me. Uh, the I, love, I love speaking more so than anything. Mm. So what I do is I research to learn. I write, take notes, and I write manuscripts based on the notes that I put into programs and seminars that I share with my students. Mm. And then I do live presentations. They're transcribed. They're handed to an editor to clean them up. And then I finally edit them. That's it. Got it. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. So you're, work, you're working with your natural, your natural flow. Yeah, because if I had to sit down and write a book from scratch, it would probably be procrastinated. Mm -hmm. But if I, I mean, I've done that. I've written, I've written around 300 books. 43 mm -hmm. are out published that are in the mass market, but a lot of them are textbooks. I've got an 1,100-page textbook that's about to come out on optics mm -hmm. and physics that's about to come out. It's not for the general audience. It's for a very tight audience. Mm. And I put on those programs at least once a year. I put one textbook out a year on just that. Mm. So I do that regularly. But those are more research and writing things because I, I love learning. And then I take that information and use it for speaking. Then I spin off articles and spin off other programs and other books that way. But it's, it's not that hard if you get a transcription of a live presentation. Yeah. 
Gosh. If you notice, I do a, a weekly uh, webinar and those are transcribed and they go out on a blog and then those are accumulated. I also write for uh, a magazines around the world. I've written for 1,530 magazines around the world. So those are now can be turned into books. So I try to leverage and get, you know, multiple efforts out of one action, <clears throat> multiple outcomes. Beautiful. A um, few more questions, John. The ship, you live on a ship. Yes. I'm really curious. Why? What inspired, <laughs> what, what inspired that? I don't, I, I don't know anyone who lives on a ship. So, okay. except for so, you now. I, I said when I was 18 years old that the universe is my playground, the world is my home, every country is a room in the house, every city is a platform to share my heart and soul. Mm. So I have, I learned from Einstein, Epictetus, and Socrates. They made a statement that I'm not a citizen of my community, city, or state, or nation. I'm a citizen of the world. And so I've always believed I'm a citizen of the world. In 1999, I saw in the Rob Report an advertisement of a ship called The World that went around the world nonstop circumnavigating the world with a group of elite, uh, amazing people, mostly billionaires and centimillionaires, that just go around the world. And there would be 100 apartments on it. And I thought, well, that, that would match. That's pretty cool. That would, it. But I just kind of, I, I didn't see but 27% occupancy yet. So it was a bit early. So I hesitated. And then when 9-11 occurred, we were living in Trump Tower. We had the 62nd floor there in Trump Tower. And um, all of a sudden, they shut down the tower. And my wife said she was out having breakfast. I was flying to Perth to speak. Mm. And they wouldn't let her back in the building because of the Trump, you know, because of the 9-11 the, uh, day. So she didn't know what. She can't go back to her apartment. She can't. She's living on the street all of a sudden. And they wouldn't let her in the building. So she contacted uh, somebody that we knew that had a helicopter and they went and picked her up out of the street, flew her to Philly. And then from Philly, got a jet over to L.A. and, and a private jet over to Australia. So she went to one of our homes in Australia and stayed there. And I told her, I said, look, I'm, I'm here in Australia, but right now I'm not scheduled, but four times here this year. So I'm not going to see if you stay here. She says, well, I don't want to be back in New York right now. It's too weird energy. So if you're going to be here, we got to come up with plan B. Mm -hmm. So that's when I brought the idea of the ship out because I would be easier for me to rendezvous with my wife around the world on the ship. So as an anniversary present, I bought to the condominium on the ship. So it's a, it's a condominium. It's a home. They range from old wow. uh, hotel size rooms to 7,400 square feet. They're multiple, they're big homes, some of them. And um, so it's just, it's the six star luxury place. If you go look on uh, online, you'll see it. It says the world of residences at sea luxury, yeah, it's ah. the largest yacht in the world. So it's not just a vacation on a yacht. It's like people. No, this, live is, this is our home. This is my resident for 21 years. Wow. That's incredible. Incredible. So when you travel, you just travel off, off of the ship and then. Right now I'm in Houston. I'm filming a movie. I'm doing uh, two movies here. And then I've got some seminars here and some podcasts. And then on Monday next week, I fly back. I go to uh, Antalya, uh, Turkey, and I get back on the ship. Then I'll go to Cyprus, and then Israel, then Egypt, and then Sharm el-Sheikh, and then into through the Suez Canal over to the Emirates, and then to India, and then Sri Lanka, and Mar Maldives. And <laughs> we go around the world nonstop. Oh, that's I'm I'm inspired now. I'm gonna I'm gonna check out this uh, uh, the world right. It's see if you can find see if you can find a little video clip on it. Oh, it's say life on the world with a video clip on it. Find that it it mm -hmm. describes it really well. It's a it's the best address on planet Earth that I found. Amazing! I might at some point be your neighbor, John. <laughs> you, well, you'll see me. You'll see me on the ship. I'm like John. It's it's cool. No, where, where are you right now? I'm in Los Angeles, but you know, I'm LA. a global. I'm a global citizen, so yeah. Well, I um, I have been in LA for a bit, but um, the ship pops in LA occasionally. We pop. We we're going to be on the east coast of America next fall. Um, but we just go around the world. It goes nonstop around from the Arctic to the Antarctic to you everywhere wow. between anywhere where water is, we go. Wow. So, and I have um, really loved this conversation. Uh, final question. If, as people think of 2023 going into this new year, could you give, I mean, you've given so much. If there were like three nuggets of wisdom that, that, that people who say, John, how can I have the best 
year ever? What are, what are the three most essential things I must do in 2023? If you could just still it to three things I must do to really, to succeed, to manifest. What would, what well, would the three I, I, I don't ever use got to's, have to's, or must because those are outer directed um, yes. injunctions. But three wise things to do Please. that people um, will find meaningful is they only have control over their perceptions, decisions, and actions in life, nothing else. Mm. So don't ever set a goal that's not a perception, decision, or action, or you have no control over it. And on controlling perceptions, know that it has nothing to do with what happens to you. It's how you perceive it. So master the art of how to take whatever happens to you and ask, how is whatever's happening today helping me fulfill my mission? Mm. And don't go to bed until that's answered with a tear of gratitude. With gratitude. Yeah. That way, no matter what happens, it's on the way, not in the way. Then you're in the flow, not in the resistance. Number two is if you don't fill your day with the highest priority actions, it's going to fill up with low priority distractions. So when you prioritize your senses to what's most meaningful, your highest value, you want to prioritize your actions. As long as you're doing the highest priority actions every single day, your self-worth goes up, your achievements go up, you're doing as much as any human being can do. So live by priority and only do the highest priority things. And you're not going to live an inspired life unless you delegate lower priority things. If you're not delegating, don't expect an inspired life. I don't do. I haven't driven a car in 32 years. I don't. <laughs> I, I, I delegate everything. I even joke to my girlfriend, look, if I have George Clooney or, you know, Hugh Jackman making love on my behalf for you, for you we used to love every time they used to, I love you even more. But delegate and prioritize. And the third one is make a decision is that do I need to, Go, go and do what's priority through delegation, or do I need to link what I'm doing to what I love most by prioritizing my perception? If you know how to prioritize your perception, prioritize your actions, there's no way you can be stopped. That's great. So great. Powerful stuff, John. Thank you once again. Lots to uh, think about, marinate on, meditate on, digest. You're a real blessing. Um, the Seven Secret Treasures, folks. John's new book out now. Go to Amazon, get the book, share the book, enjoy the book. Uh, what's the best website people can find out about you and your Just work? Just go to drdmartini.com. Do you have any events coming up, John? You said uh, in Houston. I, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a, a, I teach a program called the Breakthrough Experience. Mm. I've done it 1,161 times. I'm about to do wow. 1,162 times this weekend. I'm in Houston doing it. Um, if anybody wants to go and learn how to master their game, that's the place to start. Three days? Two days. It's a two-day two, weekend. Two days. Awesome. Yeah. I've, I've been doing that. I've done that in God knows how many countries to a lot of people. I've and been how, doing it for 34 years. How, how, how have you, before we wrap up, how have you kept it alive for yourself? You said because I'm researching, I'm researching every single day, and it's never been done the same twice. Mm. Mm. I'm growing. It's growing. So the breakthrough experience, I'm going to pop into one of those, John. Yeah. The breakthrough experience is a, is a mind, mind uh, bender. I ask people at the end of the program, how many of you learned something this weekend that you could have gone your entire life and never learned if you hadn't been here? Every hand goes up every week. Wow. Wow. Powerful. So people can find out drdmartini.com. Yep. Uh, they can find out about your, your events, what you're up to. And they can go and do a value determination, a complimentary value determination on my website. That's a good starting point for people to get clear great. about what they really value in life. That'd be great. Folks, you heard it. The amazing, the one and only Dr. John Martini. Check out his work. We'll put all, all of his links in the show notes. Check it out. Send me an email, folks. Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from today's amazing episode. Let's have an amazing 2023. Dr. John, thank you as always. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for the interview. I hope to see you soon. Everyone, share this episode with anyone in your life that you feel needs it. Until next week, love now.
If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.